The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. I want to invite you if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do have a copy of the Bible in front of you. I want to invite you to find your place in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. This morning, I'm continuing a series of messages that I have entitled, What We Need Now. What We Need Now. Considering all that's going on in the world, a lot of the problems and controversies, really felt burdened from God's word to share a truth over a series of weeks uh, concerning concepts from God's word that I really com- believe can, can help us during this time. I believe there's a need for us to get focused on what God says in, in a world in which there's so many opinions and everyone seems to have a right and an avenue to their opinion, I believe there's great need to look at God's word and to see what does the Lord say. I've said this throughout the, the last several months. Man, wouldn't it be wonderful if the church would just get real simple and return to the great commandment and the great commission? You know, Jesus gives us these two great teachings, the great commandment. We looked at it last week. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself. He also gives us this teaching we call the great commission, where he told us, Matthew 28, 19, to go into all the world and make disciples. Now, think about it. In the midst of all that's going on, if the church and purity and holiness and love would just stand up and love one another, if the church would just stand up and speak the truth in love and proclaim the gospel, we may not be able to remedy all the world's problems, but we sure could make a difference. The great commandment and the great commission. Now this morning, we're looking at the great commission. We looked at the great commandment last week. This morning, we're looking at the great commission. And it's found Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19 It's restated in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Mark gives his account of the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. This morning we're looking at Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And this passage contains instruction from Jesus to his disciples when he sent them out to minister in the first century. Now know this, back in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and following, Jesus first called his disciples to follow him. And when he called them to follow him, he trained them on what, what's involved in being a disciple or a follower of Jesus. He gave them instruction. Uh, but know this, Christians, believers, disciples, aren't just called to follow Jesus, they are also called to minister in Jesus' name. Know this, when you became a Christian, the Lord did not save you to just sit on the proverbial shelf. The Lord saved you and sanctified you and set you apart because he wants to use you as a change agent in this world. I mean, have you ever thought about this? Why, when we were saved, did the Lord not just teleport us up to heaven? Why did the Lord allow us to remain here on earth? It's because he has a purpose for each and every one of us. 
2 Corinthians 5.17, we love to quote that verse where it speaks of us being new creatures in Christ through the reconciliation we have in Christ. But go read verse number 18 as well and you'll learn that with reconciliation we've received from the Lord, we've also received what Paul called the ministry of reconciliation. See, when the Lord brought you into a right relationship with himself, he intended for you then to be used as a light in the darkness. And just as you were reconciled, now he wants you to go within your family, to go within your neighborhood, to go in your workplace and lead others to be reconciled as well. See, go back to when Jesus first called his disciples. He said this, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, see, know this, this followership involves fishing. We are all called to be lights into darkness, to be salt in this world that's in so much need of some holy flavoring. Now, the question we have before us is how? I mean, that's really the, the million-dollar question. How can we be witnesses in this world? It can really be tough, can it? It's kind of overwhelming. You look at all that's going on in the world, it's almost like, hey, let's just go find a cave and hide. Jesus wants us to be witnesses. Now know this, the Gospel of Mark was written to first century Christians living in a Roman world in which Christians at this time were being persecuted, killed for their faith. So know this, the Lord gave this instruction to first century believers to help them be witnesses in a world in which being a witness it could cost you your life. So know this, there's never a time for us to sit on the sideline. The Lord wants us to go into all the world. That means Cartersville, Bartow County, Georgia, United States of America, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The Lord wants us to go into all the world and make disciples. How can we do that? Well, I believe Jesus' instruction to his disciples here gives us some heaven-sent truth. Follow along in the listening outline in your bulletin. How can we be used to make disciples? We need to remember this. First of all, number one in your outline, we are not alone. We are not alone. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are not alone. If you don't like it, then I... When the preacher makes you repeat stuff, turn to your neighbor and say, I don't like repeating stuff. <laughs> we are not alone. Now, we know this in life. Any task is easier when you have a helper, right? There's many things in life that are discouraging and daunting when there's not assistance. Uh, for me, Sunday mornings is one of those mornings in which I'm so focused on preaching I'm so focused on the work that the Lord has me. I really believe this. The Lord's Day is a day for preaching the Word of God and singing praises to the Lord. So I wake up in the morning, Colossians 3, 15, 16. This worship time is for nothing but preaching and praise. And my heart is full and ready. I'm loaded for bear, ready to go. Thankful that I have a wife in the morning. She knows Sunday morning, Patrick needs help. Even this morning, hey, I need to be able to focus, I need quiet, I need to get my breakfast, I need to be ready to, to preach this morning. And so we know in life sometimes we need assistance and we need help. Know this, telling others about Jesus can be overwhelming. 
It brings fear into a lot of our lives, right? But know this, according to scripture, you have help. We have help. We are not alone. How so? Look in scripture here, and we're going to see two ways in which we are not alone. First of all, we have each other. We have each other. Look at verse number seven. It says, he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs. Everybody say those two words, in pairs. Pairs. And what does that mean? Well, he sent them out two by two. Sound familiar? Do you remember a time in the Old Testament where we have this idea of two by two? That's right. We think of Noah's Ark, don't we? And two animals exiting the ark after the flood, going out into the earth to repopulate the earth and to make the earth new and get the great picture from Scripture concerning evangelism and us being witnesses within our circle of influence. There is a dark, dark and broken world out there, Tabernacle. And they need faithful Christians who love Jesus and who are living the Christian life to go out in pairs to go out two by two, if you will, to repopulate and make the earth new with the gospel. So just as the earth needed to be refashioned after the flood, we now have an earth. Watch the news that needs to be refashioned. How can it be refashioned? How can it be made new? Gospel proclaimers going out. See this also from the text. They went in pairs. Why? Jesus knew that they needed Accountability, encouragement, help, and assistance. We, we see here in Scripture a precedent of the body of Christ. The eye cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. This pairing here of disciples shows that believers need the support and the strength, the assistance that comes from having the body of Christ. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so the countenance of one man sharpens the countenance of another. And so know this in Christian life, if you want to be a witness, if you want to make a difference for Jesus, if you want to lead others to faith in Christ, you need to get zeroed in on some Christian friends who can hold up your hands, as we see in the Old Testament. You need a network of Christian connections to support you and to spur you on in your witness for Christ. I have what I would call an accountability partner don't have to really use that language. I could just call him a friend. He is a friend, but we're kind of strategic in accountability. We talk most every Friday, and we're friends, been friends for years. He's not a pastor. He owns a business over in Canton, and we ask each other questions each week. How are you doing with your Bible reading? How's your relationship with your wife? How are you doing with your children. We ask a lot of deep, prying questions, but one of them we ask is, who are you witnessing to? Have you shared the gospel with anybody lately? Do you have anybody on your list? Who can I pray for? Who are you working on? Hey, I've got my pair. I've got a buddy to encourage me, to hold me accountable, to give me ideas. 
to keep me focused on my Jesus-given responsibility to be a witness. So, so know this, we have each other. Find a friend like that and get the encouragement you need. And number two, letter B, think of this also. You, you, you're not alone. You, we have each other. Secondly, we have the Lord. We have the Lord. Look at how the passage continues here in verse 7. He says, he sent them out in pairs and he gave them authority. Everybody say that word, authority. In the original language of the New Testament, it's a Greek word from the first century that spoke of the right to make a decision. The power to choose a course of action. It was used of rulers in the ancient world who were invested by, by nature of their kingship. They were invested with the power to, to determine a course of action or to choose something. Jesus here tells his disciples, I'm giving you this authority. The same Greek word is used in the Great Commission. You remember the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18? What does the Lord say before he tells us to go into all the world and make disciples? He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore on the basis of my authority and make disciples. And know this about the Great Commission. Know this about your calling to go and witness. The Lord gives you authority. He gives you power. The ability and strength to witness does not come from you. You are not left to your own resources. There is a God in heaven. His Holy Spirit is within your heart. There is power, intrinsic power within the gospel message. And as you are faithful to live the Christian life and to share the words of the gospel with people at work or in your neighborhood, guess what? God's power is with you. The power of God can bring people from death unto life. And so we've got to gain this conviction as a church if we want to be used by the Lord, if we want to be witnesses. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power through the Holy Spirit. We have authority through the gospel. We've got to quit looking to ourselves and wondering, what can we do to save people? Charles Spurgeon said, I could create a star before I could change a soul. And we need a humble, holy church that rises up and believes in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of a gospel in a fresh, new way. We need to remember we're not alone. We have each other. We have the Lord. We're not alone. Number two this morning, we see from Scripture that we must not get sidetracked. We could say we must not get distracted. Look at verses 8 and 9, how Jesus' instruction continues. He, he tells the disciples, in verse number 8, he instructed them to take nothing for the road. Take Nothing. Now that's weird. When our family goes on a trip, man, we load that Kia minivan up. We've got so much in there. If you open the sliding door, stuff just falls out. So, but Jesus is telling his disciples when they go to travel into all these remote villages, he says, take nothing with you except for a staff. Now, this is a wooden walking stick or hiking stick in the first century. And it was used really important. It's used uh, because as he traveled to these other 
remote villages, you're likely to go through some wilderness areas and there are hyenas and different types of ravenous animals. So Jesus is telling them to take this for protection. This was customary item or tool used by one traveling in the first century. But Jesus tells them, look at what he says, take no bread, no traveling bag, or no money in your belts. No bread. He tells them not even to take their daily sustenance with them. He he tells them to take no traveling bag. Normally, uh, first century travelers would many times make a bag out of animal skins and they would carry it over their shoulder with some type of perhaps leather straps. And usually this was used to store supplies that, was need, that were needed for the journey. Jesus says, I don't want you to take a traveling bag. You're not going to be hoarding supplies. He says, take no money in your belt. A first century individual would have a dress that contained a, a type of sash around the waist. It, you see this sash mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6 with a belt of truth or something similar to it. Normally it held the robe and the undergarment, the under t-shirt together. And this sash was tied tightly on the inside. There was sewn a little pocket where one could place coins. Jesus says, boys, when you travel, don't take any coins in your sash, in your money belt. And notice Jesus is telling them to not take things they would normally take on their journey. He says not to put on an extra shirt. Usually in the first century, most people didn't have extra of anything, but if they did have extra of something, they would have an extra under t-shirt. The robe was worn off in the You would take an extra shirt when you traveled under t-shirt so you could clean one and have a spare. But Jesus says, I don't even want you doing that. But he says, just wear sandals. That would protect their feet as they walk. So notice Jesus tells them to only take uh, two things here, the walking stick and the sandals, both for necessity, protection of their body. But he does not want them to take these other things, food, money, stuff stored in a traveling bag why jesus number one wants these disciples to learn to trust on the local synagogues and his people for provision we see a precedent here for church life the church the body of christ should financially support missionaries and ministers but we secondly see this great principle Gospel witnesses should rely on the Lord. They should look to him for provision. They should be careful, listen, to not get too focused on material things. Material things can blind us and distract us from our mission. And here, the Word of God, church, in the 21st century, while churchianity may be large and there may be a lot of church involvement, there are a lot of churches getting off of center. There are a lot of Christians who have allowed their vision to become cloudy. Oh, there's so many churches thinking if we get this program or this style of music or a certain type of speaker in front of the people, we might be able to attract a lot of folks. 
There's a lot of Christians becoming blinded by the things of this world and hobbies and entertainment and the things of this world and the busyness of life in 21st century America has blinded them from the primacy and priority of Jesus' gospel mission. Uh, hear the words of Jesus. We've got to be on guard that we are not distracted from the simplicity of the gospel and from the simplicity of the church's mission. We are here to love Jesus and to follow him, and we are here to make him known. And we can't allow anything, a program, we can't allow anything. What's expected for churches in 21st century society? We can't allow anything, another message or another mission. We can't allow anything, what the world says the church ought to be doing. We can't allow anything our lives and our extracurricular pursuits, we can't allow anything to blind us or block us from this gospel mission. We've got to ask this morning in our own lives and as a church, are we focused on leading others to Jesus? This is our mission. Let's not get sidetracked. Let's look at another truth from Jesus. He instructs us next that we should look for people of peace. If you with me, still with me, say amen. 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 I was getting nervous about y'all. Verse number 10, let's follow along. Jesus continues his instruction, and he, the Bible says, He said to them, When you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. Now, I've given you this point that we should look for people of peace. Patrick, how do you see that in this verse? Well, first century world, travel customs were a lot different than they are nowadays. We did a lot of traveling as a family. We lived in Oklahoma. We traveled around the, the kind of southwest area out there getting to see sites we had never seen before. We also did a lot of traveling back to Georgia around Christmas time and some in the summer. And you know traveling, right? 21st century society. I've already mentioned the minivan. Traveling contains a lot of cultural, societal customs. One of them I know is this, Cracker Barrel. Can I get a witness for Cracker Barrel? Can you legitimately travel anywhere without eating at Cracker Barrel? Have you really gone on a trip if you did not eat at Cracker Barrel? You might have stayed in a hotel, but did you really go on a vacation if you didn't eat at Cracker Barrel? Hey, first century society, there were different traveling customs. Some of y'all are thinking, boy, that'd be good for lunch today, Cracker Barrel. You're already thinking about what you're going to order. First century customs were a little bit different. When you were traveling in the first century world and you entered a, a town or a village that you were visiting, here it was common custom. You see it in the book of Judges. Went on hundreds of years before the time of our writing here, but the custom was still alive. You would enter into a town, go to the village center or the town square. You would sit down and you would wait. And you would hope that before long somebody would show up and see you and say, you're not from around here, are you? And then you would hope that they would offer some type of lodging or accommodations. Now, how many of y'all would like to travel like that? I'll take the Hampton Inn. Thank you very much. But first century world, things were different. And as Jesus' disciples went out to these neighboring villages around Galilee, this was the custom. 
And notice Jesus tells them, when you are invited into someone's home, stay there. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 verse 6 would give the same instruction and in giving this instruction there Jesus would tell his disciples to look for what he called there a person of peace. What is Jesus saying here? Look for people who are hospitable who seem to be open and receptive to you the Lord's messenger. Uh, Try to discern and detect people who may be willing to listen to the gospel message. This is a great principle for missionary work. Our IMB still uses this Bible principle in training missionaries. And I want to tell you, it's not just a principle for missionaries overseas. It's a missionary for you within your, it's it's a principle for you within your neighborhood. This isn't a principle just for missionaries overseas. This is a principle for you and for me within our circles of influence and our families. This is a principle for me on the ball field, for a principle for me as I live in my neighborhood. It's a principle for me as I frequent restaurants and shops in town. It's a principle for you as well. I've been here. We, we landed in Georgia, moved here on January 27th. And since that time, I've been praying over my prayer list. When, when I was in Lawton, I had a part of my prayer list with five, five slots for five different names where I sought to pray for five people I had met in town who were not part of a church and from what I could tell, not a Christian. And I would pray for those individuals almost every day, praying that the Lord would help me to be a witness. But all those people that were on that list were people I had identified through my interactions in the community who I considered to be what, I would, what Jesus called people of peace. So since I've been here, I felt kind of strange because my prayer list was kind of turned upside down. I thought, Lord, I don't... I don't have any people in Cartersville in these slots. So, so Lord, help me. Uh, my prayer for months was, Lord, help me to find people of peace. Lord, give me somebody in each five of these slots in these different realms of my life, these different areas of influence. I have a space for people I meet through recreation, people I meet through business and in town. And, and different, five different slots. I was praying for a while, Lord, help me to find people to whom I can witness. Help me to establish persons of peace. And then coronavirus hit. So I was really struggling to find people of peace. But I continued to pray in that regard until those five spots were full. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there are not just five people on my list. I've only been in Cartersville, Georgia since January 27th. But there are seven people on that list now. Seven different men I have met through my interactions in this community. And in the morning, I call out their name to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, work on their heart. Make them aware of their need for you. And I call out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to be a witness. Can I tell you, friends, this is half the battle in our church being effective and witnessing for Christ. So it's not going to be a preacher in the pulpit or a certain style of music or a certain program that's going to change this world. We need to get back to Jesus' program of the church realizing each and every one of us is to be a witness. What if every member in Tabernacle was to have a list with seven names like that or just three names? What if everyone, instead of focusing on churchianity, focused on great commission living and said, oh, Lord, use me with these people of peace to be a witness. Give me opportunities. 
had a man when I first became, first really started getting serious about my relationship with Christ. I was living in Barnesville, Georgia, and an older man in the church challenged me. He said, Patrick, every morning in your prayer time, pray, Lord, please use me today to witness to somebody. He said, pray that prayer every day and mean it in faith, and you'll be surprised how the Lord will send people across your path. I found out that was true. I encourage you with something similar this morning. If you want to be a witness, look for people of peace. Number four this morning, I want us to see this from God's word. If we want to be witnesses for Jesus, if we want great commission living in this messed up world, number four, we don't have to be afraid of rejection. We don't have to be afraid of rejection. Now, nobody likes rejection, right? I remember I worked at this restaurant where I had to try to sell the special every week. There was always a special. I was at a restaurant recently, and the, the waitress came up and said, do you want to hear about our specials today? No, I don't need to hear about the specials. Do you ever feel awkward sitting there listening to all that? Like, man, I just want the fried catfish. I know what I want. Don't need to hear about it, all right? So, but I'd have to tell about the special every, every Friday night. And the manager would always have a competition. If you, whoever sells the most specials, you get a free gift card somewhere. And I'd go and try to sell the, the mahi-mahi with Mornay sauce with cat mushrooms and spinach. And everybody's thinking, we just want the tilapia, the fried catfish with the chili cheese fries. We don't want no Mornay sauce. What is that? Y'all know what Mornay sauce is? No, I don't either. So anyway, so I would often think, I would often think, man, I feel like a rejection. Nobody wants that Mornay sauce. <laughs> feel like I lost. Man, I'm not going to get that gift card. Now, sometimes in life we can feel like we're rejected when it comes to Christ. I, I sense that sometimes, you know, it's really bad when you're the preacher. You, you go anywhere in town, people think, uh-oh, there's a preacher. I've been places before and go to a restaurant and people stand up the menus to try to cover what they're drinking. There's a preacher. I'm like, dude, I see the menu standing up there, all right? If you ain't got a problem with it, just chug it, okay? Just be bold if that's what you're going to do. I've gone to the grocery store before, not here. It doesn't happen with any of y'all, but I've seen people run in the other side with the buggy. He's going to see what we got in here. So I don't like rejection uh, like anyone else. I, I don't like rejection. That makes me feel awkward. I just wish you know that I'm a normal guy, right? So what you want to do, knock yourself out. Don't, just don't hurt yourself, all right? So nobody likes rejection, and Jesus knows that. Did you know in Southern Baptist Convention, they survey people, and there's been studies written on this. When asked Southern Baptists, why don't you witness, people give two reasons. I don't know what to say, first of all. And number two, I'm afraid of the response. I'll get fear of rejection. Now, a lot of that is because uh, back in the middle of the 20th century, there was this whole emphasis in America on sales. A lot, a lot of you men, I've read some of these books on sales and books on sales and the big movement on that. And what happened is some people applied sales techniques, try, trying really good motives, I believe, but they tried to apply, apply sales te techniques to evangelism. So evangelism came all about how you can close the deal. And if you didn't close the deal, then you're a failure. Uh, notice, let's get back to the Bible. And let's look at what Jesus says here. I like what Daryl Robinson said. He wrote the book, People Sharing Jesus. I had an opportunity to serve under him at, 
Roswell Street Baptist Church, he said an effective witness is this. You share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and you leave the results to the Lord. So just let that set you free this morning. Then look at the words of Jesus, what he says here. Verse 11, if any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. The first century world, a Jew, when they traveled into a Gentile territory, they would view the actual dirt, the soil, the ground in Gentile territory as being unclean. So when, when a Jew returned back into Canaan or back into the promised land, it, he or she, had, they had this cultural custom where before stepping back into the promised land, you would lift up your leg and literally shake the dust off your feet. Uh, the dust was regarded as being unclean and you did not want it on your feet as you entered back into the promised land. Now, now that, that act was a symbol for the Gentile lands. A Gentile land was viewed as an ungodly land, an unbelieving land. So this act was viewed as a symbol of judgment. Listen, judgment against the Gentile land. These are unbelievers. These are God rejectors. Now notice the symbol and the meaning for us. The Lord calls us to go out and live the Christian life, to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. You ought to be walking with Jesus and living a life that looks different and then seizing opportunities, even making opportunities to share the words and the concepts of the gospel. And guess what's going to happen? According to Jesus, people will reject the message. But Know this, they don't reject you, they reject the Lord. And you've got to have the spiritual maturity to not take it personally. You've got to have the love in your heart to realize that that individual who rejects the message is rejecting the Lord, and that individual does not know the Lord. They are, if you will, a Gentile, an unbeliever. And instead of being worried about, oh, what do they think of me? Instead, think about this reality. They don't know the Lord, and they are destined for judgment and an eternity separated from God. And that reality ought to grip your heart and mind, not to give you pity and compassion. As the book of Jude says, it ought to lead you in empathy to try to snatch souls from the fire. Oh, so many Christians are so self-focused. Oh, what do people think about me that they can't be of any use for the Lord? I can't be afraid of rejection. Hear the words of Jesus. He wants us to see this truth. Go out and share the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit, just love folks and leave the results to the Lord. Uh, lastly, I want you to see this great truth from Jesus. Truth number five we see here. We need to simply share the message of Jesus. Notice verse 12. It says that so they went out and preached that people should repent. Notice that word preached. Everybody say that word preach. preach. Everybody say preach it preacher. Right, well, I'm glad he said that. I was only going to go a couple more minutes, but now that y'all encourage me, what, how much time y'all got? You know, we, we take that word preach often and we think of what I'm doing right now. Uh, I'm up here with the Bible, my little preaching notebook and this table, and I'm preaching. 
So we might think, yeah, that's good. The disciples, they need to preach. Oh, preacher Patrick, he needs to preach. Uh, know this about the word that's used here. It's the word keruso. It's a word used in the first century of a town herald. The guy who made announcements in town. You know, back, back then you didn't have Twitter. It wasn't like, well, what's going on in the world today? Let's get our daily dose of discouragement and check it out. You don't have the TV. You don't even have a newspaper. In order to get announcements, what do you do? You gather at the town center again, and you wait for the herald or the one who makes announcements to get up and give you the daily news. Now, Jesus here uses a word that's used of that activity to describe what you and I are supposed to be doing as Christians. We, within our community, within our families, in our neighborhoods, where we live, where we work, we are called by Jesus to make an announcement, to simply share the good news. I can remember working at Papado Seafood Kitchen on on uh, Windy Hill Road in Marietta, in case you all don't like Cracker Barrel, you're like, well, where do we go for lunch? You could drive down there today, all right? I'm just giving you options, all right? Uh, but I can remember working there, and people before long would figure out there's something different about this guy. He doesn't laugh at our dirty jokes, or he doesn't cuss. He's not going out drinking with us on the lunch break. What's up with you, Patrick? You're different. I remember there was a friend I'd gone to high school with, and he got a job there during the summer, and I remember him point blank, point blank asking me that question. What's going on with you? Well, I'm glad you asked. And I had an opportunity right there to simply share. Now, I didn't pull out a note card. Let me talk to you about an outline of five different things here. And then Sister So-and-So is going to sing a song of invitation. You'll have an opportunity to respond. It didn't go like that. It was just simply... Man, you know what? I kind of grew up in church, but I didn't know what the Christian thing was all about. I didn't really have purpose and direction in life, but it wasn't long ago that I really started to understand that I was made for a relationship with God, that there's a creator who loves me. And then I heard this message that I'm a broken, imperfect, sinful person like everybody else on planet Earth. I heard the message that God loves me so much that he sent his son Jesus to live and die for my sins. And I heard that if I believe and trust in Jesus as the son of God, he will forgive me of all of my sins, come to live within my heart, and give me a forever relationship with him. And when I die, I know according to the word of God that I go to live in heaven. Now I have purpose and direction in life. It's like I found my reason for being alive. Oh, Okay. It's opportunity to witness. Just simply proclaiming and making an announcement. So you go back to those two reasons why people don't witness. I'm afraid. I don't know what to say. Know this. When it comes to what you say, share your testimony. Weave a little John 3.16 in there. It's not hard. If you got saved, you ought to be able to tell people about it, right? And so notice Jesus calls us to just preach, make an announcement. Jesus himself did this in Mark 1.15. He preached and said, repent and believe the good news. And now he tells his disciples, you just go and say the same thing. 
And know this, as you share the good news, that good news is supernaturally endowed, hardwired with power from God. I don't understand it. Sometimes I've shared the gospel and thought, well, they'll just brush this off. They're not interested. I'm just going to be faithful and tell them what Jesus has done. And as I'm talking, I've seen it before, a little tear comes in the eyes. Or maybe not a tear, they seem to be really focused. And as I share, I can tell they're paying attention and something's going on. And then I might ask a question, as I often do after I've shared my testimony. It, just try this. Just, just use a simple question like this. Share your testimony and then just try a simple question like this. Is that something you've ever done? Or is that something you need to do? And wait for the response. And there's been times I let that hang. Remember a time a man 30 years older than me. And I'm sitting there talking to him because I'd had people before. I'm a young preacher. You're 20-something years old. What are you going to tell me about life? And I thought, this old guy will probably say the same thing, but I'm just going to tell him. Tear comes into his eyes. I say, is that something you need to do? Matter of fact, that is something I need to do. Nobody's ever told me this before. Hey, what is that? How did a man 30 years older than me see his need for Christ? I know this this morning, it, that wasn't of me. The gospel, Romans 1.16, is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And so know this, as we go out as a church, we may say, man, we might as well give up. Look at this world. Know this, the gospel is still more powerful than any philosophy, any news agency, any lie, any movement. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Believer, you just share the word of God, and the Lord of the harvest will bring people to faith. Let's be a church that makes an announcement. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.